Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Um, I don't know if you know or if you've been following current events, but this week, uh, a controversial public figure was acquitted um, to a lot of publicity and uh, stoking a lot of anger. And Greg, I mean, we're some not people m- talk about the impeachment hearings on this podcast. Oh no, I meant gritty. Yeah, I oh, meant yeah, uh, yeah, of course, of course, Philadelphia course. Flyers mascot gritty. Uh, he was accused of physically assaulting a teen during a photo session last year, and Philadelphia Philadelphia police finally finally freed from their persecuting people who climbed uh, telephone poles uh, during the Eagles uh, Super Bowl parade have announced that they will not. They did not find any evidence that, again, can we just talk about this again, how they keep referring to Gritty as a real thing? Philadelphia police announced Monday that investigators did not find any evidence that Flyers mascot Gritty physically assaulted a teen during a photo session. At no point in this story from ABC6 Action News did I say who's in the suit, did I say that it's like an actual person inside. The sentient being Gritty thing from the local Philadelphia media is either completely irresponsible or ample evidence that this is actually a creature they found underneath Wells Fargo Center at some point and they just decided to make the mascot. My take is I think it's fascinating that um, when you read all the quotes of the story, it's always the Philadelphia Flyers commenting on them or their parent company, Comcast Spectator. And I just have to wonder who owns the rights to Gritty and it has to be them. And this poor guy probably who's doing the mascot has a great tell-all to do one day and sold his rights away. He doesn't own his own persona. In, inside, inside the, gr- the the gritty inside, uh, my mm-hmm. life as a Flyers mascot. I'm just trying to, you know, figure out what the title's going to be. Yeah, so gritty is acquitted, or the person inside the gritty suit is acquitted. I, I my working theory is that it's Bobby Clark inside the suit, and then they just don't want to reveal to the world that Flyers legend Bobby Clark, seventy, eighty, some odd year old Bobby Clark's inside the suit. Because there has to be some what? reason why we haven't actually heard a person's name yet. They'd want us to know that, but it's just all about the long play. Like, that's mm-hmm. a reveal we get in 2024. The Philadelphia Flyers issued the following response to the announcement. We are pleased that the Philadelphia Police Department concluded there was no merit to the alleged claim. The police department statement confirms our thorough internal investigation that found no evidence of the described actions ever having taken place. I can only hope that means that, like, head of, of, uh, of Flyers security was sitting in an office with the guy in the gritty suit across from him so did you punch that kid gritty just shrugs (laughs) throw some confetti (laughs) jesus all right so gritty is acquitted everybody go back to um being mad at gritty for stealing other mascots bits coming up on espn on ice this week my goodness speaking of the flyers sean couturier selkie trophy leader on the awards watch this year will join us to talk about the flyers playoff chances and much, much more. Um, also, Alex Ovechkin's breaking records left and right, and a look at the trade deadline vis-a-vis bubble teams. All that and more on this edition of ESPN on Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey, it's ESPN on Ice. It's the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And Emily, as we do the show this week, we are staring down at the precipice of history. We're staring up? Where's the precipice exactly? Is it above us? Uh, right in the middle. Right in the middle. Okay, on we're somewhere maybe... We could be eye level at the precipice of history. Depends on if you think the world is flat or round. Oh, well, that's a whole different podcast, let me tell you right now, because anyways. Um, (laughs) Alex Ovechkin, with 14 goals in seven games, is bumping right up against breaking that 700-goal mark that we've been uh, wondering when he's going to break for some weeks now. Uh, Just an insane amount of goals uh, being put into the net by uh, the grade eight. Um, three hat tricks in the last like month. You know, normal Ovechkin stuff. Only seven players in NHL history have broken 700 goals scored. 
uh, none since uh, Yamir Yager did it, obviously. Um, he's number three all time. Probably be number one all time were it not for lockouts in the KHL, but that's another podcast as well. Uh, Alex Ovechkin, 698 as we do the podcast. Going to break 700. Could probably pass Mike Gartner, 708 this season as well. Your thoughts on the Ovechkin goal orgy or gorgy, as it were. I'm almost shocked that this isn't getting more attention. I almost wonder if we've become desensitized by it. Because what he did, you know, as we're recording this Wednesday uh, morning, Tuesday night against the Kings was just absurd. His team is losing to the lowly Kings in the third period. He scores the equalizer. He scores the game winner. And then he seals it with this, like, no-look empty nemder, all in the span of four minutes and 24 seconds. And... In the past month, he's passed quite a few names uh, on the goal-scoring list, like Lemieux, Iserman, Messier. And it almost feels like each one were just like, meh, meh. meh. <laughs> right. And yeah. maybe it's because this guy has gotten too many milestones and maybe because people are saying, okay, he's still about 200 from the big milestone, which is um, passing Gretzky. And what should we you know, save our enthusiasm for? But it almost feels like we don't know quite how to celebrate him or we're not celebrating him properly. But what he's doing is quite incredible because let's remember, this is his age 34 season and he's on pace for 61 goals. And yeah. two to three years ago, everyone, including his own general manager, were suggesting that he, A, was done and B, need to adapt his game to fit to the modern NHL. Yeah, and your your point about the stats is right. Uh, I, I talked to John Carlson at the All-Star game about that and he said, you know, like – he does so many incredible things statistically that now we treat it as normal and we probably shouldn't. And it's the truth. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it becomes pedestrian when Ovechkin scores 60 goals. And it shouldn't be because he's doing it within an era where you shouldn't be able to do the things that he's doing on a year-by-year -year basis. And, and Gretzky's said as much as that to say that, you know, back in the 1980s, yeah, it was pretty easy to do what I did. It was pretty easy to amass the amount of goals that I did when you were dealing with the defense that you're playing, when you're dealing with the goaltending that you're playing, when you're dealing with the style of play that you're playing, when you're dealing with the number of teams in the league that you're playing with. I mean, for goodness sakes, you know, expansion has mattered as far as, you know, travel and, and any number of other uh, uh, implications. But um, the fact that Ovechkin's done it in the modern era against this kind of goaltending is just remarkable. It's remarkable. And um, I don't, I was talking to this about, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, like, I think he's going to break the record. I think he's going to catch Gretzky. Um, if he doesn't, he's at least going to pass Gordie Howe. And Gordie Howe right now, well, right now, I mean, he's going to stay there. He's dead. Uh, is at 801 goals. <laughs> and then Gretzky's at 894. So Ovechkin now, you know, by the end of the season is going to be well less than 100 goals away from Gordie Howe. So I think he's going to catch Howe for sure. I think he's going to catch Gretzky. Um, we're probably not going to be able to really contextualize what Ovechkin's accomplished probably until his Hall of Fame induction. Like, we'll know what the raw numbers are. He'll be celebrated. He'll get lots of prizes and gifts and cars and golden sticks and all kinds of stuff for what he's accomplished. But until we really look back at this era and see how damn hard it is for a lot of guys to do what Ovechkin does almost effortlessly is going to really be the moment when we, we understand his accomplishment. Now, you mentioned a bunch of guys that he's passed on the goal-scoring rankings. Your Timu Solana, your Steve Eiserman, your Mark Messier. All three of those players have something in common, Emily, in that they all congratulated Alex Ovechkin. Mario Lemieux, conspicuously absent in his sending <laughs> accolades to Ovechkin, either through social media or a recorded message or anything of that nature. Is that just, is that just trying to keep the Penguins Capitals rivalry stoked? I think Mario's bitter that Alex Ovechkin's passed him on the goring, this goal scoring rankings. Maybe it's just one of those classy things where he did it behind the scenes and we just don't know. Um, one thing that I find interesting, though, is when I went to Russia, you said, I'm really curious what the Russian perspective is of, of Alex Ovechkin. Can, you know, you should ask some people about that. And I had a really interesting conversation with Dmitry Tereshenko, 
who at the time was the president of the KHL. And I just want to go on a slight tangent here because this to <laughs> me was hilarious. Uh, you know, as you guys know, I was, um, in Moscow recently to cover the KHL All-Star Game and do a couple stories there. And they gave me a big sit down with the KHL president. And I thought it was awesome. And he gave me some incredible quotes and he was my main source on all of these stories. But, uh, you know, inside journalism, I couldn't write any stories while I was there. I was on a tourist visa. So I came home and wrote all of my stories. And literally the day I land, uh, I find out that this guy resigned because he's now a part of Putin's uh, new government. He's a deputy prime minister. Literally part of Putin's team. Yeah, maybe gives more weight to any of his quotes. Who's to say? Anyway, I asked him, I was like, how active are you going to be in recruiting Alex Ovechkin to finish his career in the KHL? And he said something which I actually heard echoed by a lot of Russians when I was there. And he's like, you know, from everything I understand, he's one of the most popular and famous sports celebrities in America. Um, he's really risen to that level. So I think that he's a better ambassador over there than he would be over here. And I think they take a lot of pride in that and and in their understanding, and I do believe it to be true, like he's a transcendent sports figure here and he's being a good Russian ambassador for all things Russia. Hmm. That's very interesting. Um, Do you think he's going to break the record? Yeah, for sure. If he's on pace for 61 goals in his age 34 season, is showing no signs of slowing down. Just look at his hockey reference page to see – his lowest goal total was 33 goals in the last couple of years. And that was like when everyone's like, oh, he's washed up. And since then, he scored 49, 51, and again, on pace for 61. So, yeah, he's going to break yeah. Gretzky's record. Uh, unless Dell Hunter comes back to coach the Capitals and he wants Ovechkin to start blocking shots again instead of scoring goals. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. No, and also I would say that, you know, the durability is the real the real key here. Um, un- unless he's, he's skipping an all-star game, he's, he's playing <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's been, I mean, the Russian machine never breaks thing has been a meme for like a decade, but it's accurate and it's incredible to watch. I also think the one, um, education I got on Ovechkin in, in writing the story that's going to publish if and when he breaks 700 is, if and when. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's like when our editors get mad at us for calling people future hall of famers, like, how do you know? Um, yeah. maybe the league will fold. Uh, so anyways, in talking to some of the best goal scorers of all time, they all said the same thing about Ovechkin with regard to the, the Gretzky chase, which is that if he was just a guy who scored goals, maybe you think that the numbers would decline. Maybe you're worried about him actually catching him, but it's the way he scores them. It's the mechanics of that shot on the power play or, you know, and from the strength, office. From the office, from the OV spot, from the left circle. And everybody knows where it's coming from. And everybody knows how he's shooting it. And for 15 years, no one's been able to stop it. And all these guys, whether it was Patrick Kane or Bernie Federico or, or whoever, all said the same thing, which is that the mechanics of that shot means he's going to break, he's got a very good chance at least to break the record. Because it's not as if he's relying on, on a blazing speed. You know, he's not like, you know, Pavel Bure out there. Like, he is somebody who has this incredible arrow in his quiver and he keeps firing it and firing it and firing it and he hits the bullseye every time. And that's the difference between his assault on this record and maybe someone else's that when they get to 38 or 39 might not necessarily have the skill set to keep scoring goals. I thought that was a really that's a great point. Yeah, interesting point. You know, honestly, I can't help but think of Connor McDavid and everything we've learned about his injury this offseason and not how fragile he is, but just how quick, like, there was a chance if you watched that McDavid, you know, documentary that, like, mm. he wasn't going to play this year and his career was totally in jeopardy. Um, and, and, you know, you just realize how dependent he is on his speed and, speed, yeah. and his mobility. And that's not something that Ovechkin's had to rely on. I'm going to end with this question because I was asked about it by our friends, the curtain bloggers on Vancouver radio this morning. And I thought it was an interesting one. Ovechkin breaks Gretzky's record. It all tracks back to this, ladies and gentlemen. Does that change the dynamic of the Crosby-Ovechkin rivalry? Does Ovechkin become the better player if he sets the all-time goals record? You know, I think technically, yes, he should. But I do still think there's that Russian stigma and there's some kind of enigma or I don't know what it is. Xenophobia, maybe we'll call it that. But we always view the North American is better and more complete. And look, Crosby's a more complete player, right? He's better defensively. He mm-hmm. has a better all-around game. 
but like Hobie's just been more dominant. Yes, and and you know North America. Let's you know zoom in on the map a little bit and say Canada. Um, the uh, the interesting dynamic there is that along with Crosby always being treated as the more complete player, which speaks to a larger debate about whether we have a bias towards centers in this league over wingers. That's yeah, that's you know insurmountable. Point. Like for, you know we talk about it with the Selkie every year, where Mark Stone can't win the Selkie because he's not a center, and you know. You think back to the, the, the time when Brett Hull was, you know, the best goal scorer in all of hockey and how he was never in the conversation with guys like Mario or, or Iserman or Messier, um, as far as like best player in the league because he was just seen as this goal scorer. So that's, that's a different debate. The thing I find it fascinating about this is that I think Crosby narratively has always been the guy who led his teams to great heights gold medals, three Stanley Cups, what have you. And Ovechkin was always seen as the player of great individual accomplishment whose teams maybe didn't go to great heights. Now, mm. that obviously changed the minute the Caps won the Cup and he won the Conn Smythe. Did it change enough to where that's not necessarily going to be the narrative when all is said and done between these two players? I don't know. It's it's a, I've, I, I, I know people love to talk about how they have Crosby-Ovechkin fatigue, I am not one. I think it's a rivalry that arguably saved hockey after a canceled season. That and outdoor games and, you know, ever, ever climbing offensive stats. But the dynamic of that rivalry with regard to Ovechkin breaking Gretzky's goals record versus Crosby's incredible, what will eventually be like 20 year run in this league. It's fascinating. And I could debate that all day. I think it's great for hockey to have that debate. Yeah. And you know, speaking to the fatigue point, there's part of me that's like, there's so many young, exciting players in this league. Why are we not talking about Austin Matthews more? Why are we not talking about Elias Pettersson more? Like, let's go to the next generation. At the same time, these guys are still ridiculously dominant and ridiculously entertaining. And let's just savor it for what it is. And Austin Matthews and Pettersson and all those guys will get their time. Right. And to put it in completely, you know, audience alienating terms, that's why The Undertaker always shows up at WrestleMania. Because people want to see The Undertaker. <laughs> All right. Let's say hi to our guest. It's the great Sean Couturier. Joining us now on the line, Sean Couturier, center, Philadelphia Flyers, one of uh, our favorite players. Sean, the first question is, what do we have to do to get you the Selkie this year? We want to get you the Selkie. Do we need to take out Patrice Bergeron for you in some way, like Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding style, or just like keep convincing people to vote for you? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, obviously Bergeron's always in the mix. He's uh, he's a uh, he's the role model player for uh, for that trophy. Uh, but it, you know, it's uh, it's just an honor already just to you know be in consideration with uh, with his name there. Hey, Sean, I know that uh, Nolan Patrick was on the ice with you guys today practicing. It's Wednesday, and you know I'm not quite sure when he's going to return, but I was just curious, how much has he been able to be around the team this year, and what would his potential return mean to you guys as you try to make a playoff push down the stretch? Uh, yeah, I think he's, you know, he's he's doing everything he can to, you know, come back and and play. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sure it's been frustrating and, and hard for him. Um, you know, we try to support him as much as we can, but uh, you know, it's tough. You know, trying to always be uh you know in his ear asking him how he's doing how he's going and what what he's going through so we kind of just you know try to let him be let him do his things and uh you know we can see that he's working hard to come back and it's nice to see him out there and have some fun and uh i thought he looked good yeah you guys are having some fun man being in a playoff chase is always a good thing and uh right now the website money puck says 63.8 percent chance the flyers make the postseason which is pretty cool um I kind of expected this from Elaine Vigneault. He, he sort of has this level of success whenever he goes to a new team. What's it been like uh, uh, playing for AV, and what have you learned from the guy in the, in the first year he's been there? So far, it's been great. Uh, you know, he's uh, I think he's well-prepared. He knows the league really well. He's, he's got the experience. He knows what it takes to win, and uh, I think you can see it in his in his preparation and what he demands out of his players and uh, the way we play. And, uh, you know, guys have, have bought in since start and try to you know try to get all on the same page and build something special here and um you know so far it's been a bit good we're you know we're right in the mix right where we want to be we're you know we're still in the control of, of our destiny and um 
all we can do is, you know, just keep keep working hard, trying to win some hockey games, and uh, you know, position ourselves for uh, for a playoff spot. When I watched you guys in the first half, it was crazy because when you played at home, you were such a good team, but it almost felt like you were a different team when you played on the road and you didn't have as great of results. What do you think went into that, and, and how can you prevent that from happening in the second half? Uh, honestly, I, I I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, I'm sure if we have an answer, we would, you know, be better on the road. But um, I think it's sometimes it's 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 also over analyzing things obviously i think early in december when we or mid-december when we had the, the west coast trip it was you know a tough trip for us it was one trip um a lot of games um i guess in december our, our, our road road our road trips weren't weren't good and that obviously uh, hurt our our record but um you know i think lately we've been better uh we've We've had some some good games on the road. It's just a matter of uh, you know consistently being better, and um, we're trying to fix that. And I think you know the last few games have been uh, have been better. All right, I got a tough question for you. Who's the funniest guy on the Flyers? Now we've heard Hayes. Hayes is funny. I've heard Konechny's really funny behind the scenes. Funniest guy on the Flyers? Go. Uh, yeah, those are two funny guys, but. For me, it's, uh, it's always kind of been uh, Jake Borchek. Uh, I've known him for a long time, and um, he's, uh, he's a great character, great guy to be around, and, uh, you know, really really funny in his, his own way. Funny how? Funny funny in saying the, the right thing to break up the room? Is he a pranks guy? What's funny about Jake Borchek? Uh, not necessarily a pranks guy, just his, his humor. Um, you know, the way he, he interacts with, with, with other people and stuff. And it's, uh, it's something, uh, you know, we're, I guess, you know, it's, it's fun to have him around and, and, you know, get to joke around with him and, and see his, his personality in, in another way that maybe people don't see it. But, you know, I, I think he's, he's a, he's a funny guy and I'm sure other guys can, can, uh, prove that. <laughs> Are you happy that Gritty was acquitted? Oh yeah, he's uh, he's uh, he's a great mascot. I uh, wasn't a big fan of his at the start, but uh, I got to you know meet him and see what he does uh, every night. And it's uh, I think he's hilarious. I think he's funny, and he's he's great for the city of Philadelphia. So really happy for him. I've heard this from other flyers that they weren't crazy about having a goofball mascot at the start. Is that were you the first time you saw him? Did you not really get it? Yeah, I didn't really get it. Uh, you know, I didn't. I guess pictures were when his pictures came out. They, you know, he looked a little crazy. You know, his eyes and everything, uh, the color. You know, it was, uh, it was a weird mix. But when when you get to see him uh, in person, he's uh, he's different. He's nice. He's uh, like I said, he's funny, and uh, I think he I think he fits well the you know the city of Philadelphia. All right, this is my last one. Um, you know, in the beginning of the year, one of your line mates, Oscar Limblom, was diagnosed with a rare form of bone cancer, and it was really scary for a lot of fans to hear. I was wondering if you could just give an update of, you know, how much you guys have been able to see him, how he's doing, and, you know, how his diagnosis has affected your team. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's funny you asked that question. I, I actually saw him uh, last night, uh, went, uh, went over to... Uh, Robert Hag's place. A few guys, you know, were there. Try to, you know, hang out with him. Um, yeah, he's been. I don't know. He's been. Uh, he's been doing good. I think. Um, you know, we're trying to just support him in any way we can. And, um, you know, we, we wish him all the best. And he's such a, you know, he's such a positive guy. Such a nice guy that you know, we're sure he'll uh, he'll fight through it. And uh, you know, it's just uh, it's nice to you know get the chance to be around him when we can. And, him. Awesome stuff. Sean, thank you so much for your time, man. We will continue to raise the battle flag for Couturier for Selkie this year. You deserve it. And uh, good luck. Hope right. to see you guys in the playoffs. Thank you. Thanks very much. Our thanks to Sean Couturier of the Philadelphia Flyers, who, as the trade deadline nears, are a team that is sniffing around ye old playoffs. In fact, Money Puck 
on the day that we do this podcast has them at 63.8% to make the postseason, which is a better percentage than the Carolina Hurricanes, for example, which is sad for those of us who think the Hurricanes could be a stealthy cup pick this year. But hey, it's early. Uh, trade deadline, and Emily. Hey, they lost Dougie. They lost Dougie. That's true. You take Dougie off that team. And then you look it what happens. It all falls apart. It all falls apart. Trade deadline, Emily. It's creeping up. We wrote a big uh, primer on the trade deadline recently. I've heard from many people that they don't think a lot's going to happen. Are you in that camp? You know, I think that the price for a trade deadline rental has cheapened significantly recently. Hmm. Um, I don't think this is the age where we're throwing out first rounders left and right. Those are just become too valuable in the age where we really need guys on their entry level contracts to perform. I think that most teams are hoping that they can get, um, a guy with term. Um, I think that's what has really become the valuable piece at the trade deadline. And I think the other thing is the parity in the league. And, you know, in years past around this time, we'd be like, Oh, that team's a buyer. That team's a seller. And there's literally a handful of teams, I like could probably name five or six, where they're like, well, we're going to see how the next two weeks plays out, and then we'll decide what right. we do. Like, those are teams like the Blackhawks, and even the Rangers are in that camp. A, a Ranger is a team that we kind of expected to be a seller uh, for the second or third straight year. So that, I think, is all compounding into what's going to be a quiet deadline. Yeah, and um, you're right about that term thing. Like, I, I've, like many people have read many many, 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 many articles about the Toronto Maple Leafs lately and what they <laughs> may or may not do at the trade deadline. And I find it fascinating that, you know, the the expectation is Kyle Dubas' MO will be to acquire somebody that has a little bit of term and not ante up a, a good young player for a strict rental. So, you know, you start seeing names like Matt Dumba being thrown around and and others. I, I think the um, James Myrtle-led uh, P.K. Subban talk has been very interesting. I mean, the Devils would have to... At, you know, obviously snatch up half of that salary, but it's, it's an interesting thought on a number of levels. If a guy like Subban was available for the Leafs, Leafs, by the way, 70.2% to make the playoffs. So let's not all freak out, even though Freddie Anderson got hurt. Um, there's a part of me that thinks PK's cooked. There's a part of me that thinks that hockey is not necessarily the priority these days for him. Um, I hate selling that narrative, but I mean, Last two seasons, man. And for me, uh, it comes down to his skating. He, he's just not as good of a skater as he was three or four years ago. And I think there are things he could do this off season to change his stride and work on his skating. Um, it's just a matter of if he does that and if he's physically able to do that. Right. So the question is, is that if you acquired him now, which I don't even think they could financially, like, does that make the Leafs an exponentially better team? Or is that an acquisition they make? with the hope that playing in the center of the hockey universe makes PK PK again. Mm, like it gives him the juice to be the yeah. superhero again. It's like the injection into his veins. Right. Like he gets the the super soldier the serum. Right. And, yeah. and like, like the simple, the simple, like playing in Toronto is the carrot that makes him sprint. You know, that, 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 that that's at least the theory that you'd have to have because based on the last two years, there's not a lot there that tells you that P.K. Subban is going to be a hell of a difference maker in Toronto. I mean, he's based better off, than Cody Ceci, but I mean, what's that list right. like? Based off everything I've come to understand about Kyle Dubas, I find that to be like a highly unlikely trade to go down. Mm -hmm. um, if anything, just because of his cap, and like you said, there could be compounding factors like the Devils taking on um, a significant portion of the salary. But I just have a hard time believing that's the direction they want to go in. The... um. The trade deadline is fascinating because, like you said, there are so few rental options that are real difference makers. That's why I got to believe that even though he wants to stay and even though you can make an argument that they're a better team with him, that you got to move Chris Kreider if you're the Rangers, right? Like like the price for Kreider is going to be so high that you got to move him at the deadline. Right. And especially if you're the Rangers where you think, hey, maybe we can go and get a first-round pick from him. He's the only player that's going to warrant a, a rental that's only going to warrant a first-round pick this year. And we still can get a chance to sign him this offseason because he loves being a Ranger so much. Um, mm. But, yeah, there's enough teams that are so desperate for him. Um, you know, the Blues are the team we've repeatedly heard linked to him. The Avalanche are like a sneaky contender. The Penguins, who feel like they need to reward their group for doing so well in the absence of Sir Great Sidney Crosby. Yeah. Um, 
you know, all of those teams will be in for him that I think it's going to be too tempting for the Rangers not to move him. Again, they're right on the bubble right now of the playoffs, probably trending a little bit uh, in the wrong direction, even though they've had a couple good swings. And again, Artemi Panarin could will them into it by himself. Who knows? Uh, what's interesting <laughs> to me is the goalie market. And, you know, we're all kind of keeping an eye on the Rangers because they have that three-goalie carousel. And Georgiev, obviously, is the most likely to go. I still think the Rangers hold on to him and get a better deal for him at the draft in June. Um, that's kind of what I would telegraph in that, although maybe a team like the Maple Leafs, especially if Anderson's out, uh, mm-hmm. gets so desperate that they give the Rangers whatever they want, which is probably a first-round pick. Um, you know, And then there's a team like the Blackhawks, and the Blackhawks are fascinating to me because They're really fascinating. there's such an emphasis in the front office coming from President John McDonough to make the playoffs. And they're sick of losing. This is not their DNA. They just need to get in. And they've shown some signs of life. And, you know, just like last year, they're gearing up for the second half push. They're getting healthy at the right time. They welcome Brandon Sod back. Dylan Strome's about to come back. Drake Kajula. I would be shocked if they get rid of either of their goalies, even mm-hmm. though they could get a lot for both of them. Um, I'd be shocked if they make one of those big moves, like getting rid of Brandon Sod or even, God forbid, Duncan Keith. Um, I, I think the most likely path for the Blackhawks right now is get rid of, not get rid of, say goodbye to Eric Gustafsson just because he might be able to yield a decent return back as a Red Bull and a nice offensive defenseman and maybe even try to add to this group and try to win it out this year. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one guy, speaking of goalies, that I'm surprised might actually be kind of a difference maker at the trade deadline, Aaron Dell of the San Jose Sharks. Now, it's quite possible that you've not been paying attention to the Sharks nor Arendelle because the Sharks are terrible and he's Arendelle. Um, but I can put myself in that camp. Yeah. Since, um, since January 2nd, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven of 10 games, he's given up two goals or less and including walking into Calgary last night and holding them to one goal, um, and playing really well in defeat. Last three starts. Uh, two or fewer goals, uh, in all of them. Playing maybe his best hockey <laughs> in the NHL and doing it at a time. how the Sharks climbed all the way up to a minus 39 goal differential? <laughs> That's exactly right. He's, he's responsible for it. He's a UFA. He only makes $1.9 million. If you're a team looking for that just it'll, it'll little itty bitty insurance policy, I wonder if he's played himself into the conversation. But the real intrigue with the Sharks is Brendan Dillon, who I think is a, a, a very good defenseman. Um, and I could easily see move. I could easily see him being the left D that the, uh, Florida Panthers, for example, are looking for. I think he'd be a good fit there. Um, there's some, I mean, there's some decent, like, rental prospects, but overall, I mean, this trade deadline needs, needs a, a guy with term to move, and I wonder where that's gonna happen. Here's a team that I wanted to talk to you about as, as we close out the segment. Nashville. So Nashville is at this moment 44.8% to make the playoffs. That's not great. Um, in fact, it's not as good as the odds that the Blackhawks make the playoffs in the Western Conference. Um, that doesn't mean that they're out of it. In fact, they're very much in it. It's just one of those deals where every time one part of the team seems to work, the other part of the team doesn't. Right now, the goaltending's good and they can't score goals. If you're David Poyle, what do you do? I mean, he kind of tipped his hand by firing the coach that he thinks this team is good enough to win. But, right. like, if things don't get yeah within serious sniffing distance of the of the wild card uh, by the time the trade deadline hits, do you think they, they push in and try to improve the team, or what do they do? Yeah, I mean, look, they've got two guys who are UFAs this summer that would be easily moved and I think could add value to a lot of teams. Craig Smith definitely has more value right now than Mikhail Granlund, although Granlund ever could just think, okay, he needs a little bit of a change of scenery to get going again. Um, but if you look at this team, they actually have got draft capital if they want to add. Like, they've got an extra second-round pick from the deal with the Devils. They've got an extra third-round pick from a deal uh, with the Wild this past summer. Like, they could add to this group um, – I just I wonder where and and what and you know once again it feels like the defense is strong and good enough they probably could use actually an extra defenseman uh, just to be sure but scoring help would be great if they once again for the eighth straight year probably only third could find a partner for Kyle Turris to take on that contract that'd be great don't think that's happening um, but yeah I do think that they are kind of looking inward and saying what type of team we are and I'd put them in the same camp as the Blackhawks where it's like the next week. 
the next week and a half will totally tell which direction they go. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. And obviously, when we get it gets to the trade deadline, you know where you should be. That's ESPN. We're going to have full trade deadline coverage. Me, Emily, Chris Peters, all on site in Bristol for trade deadline fun, videos, podcasts, all of it. And then obviously breaking down all the big news and moves of the day. Um, it's always a fun time. And, uh, and we always, we get to sit in a, in a conference room. That's exciting, right? Do you know what's a little more exciting than sitting in a conference room though? What's that? The low podcast. Cause if you're enjoying <laughs> our show, you should take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe to the low pod, pod, post pod. Sorry, it's the low post pod, obviously, because it's so good. And with the trade line, deadline looming in basketball as well, you can hear Zach Lowe's reaction to the wheeling and dealing across the NBA, and I have a feeling it's going to be a little more exciting than hockey. So you can find the latest episode wherever you're listening now. Again, it's the low post pod. Mm. You're right. That is more exciting than sitting in a conference room. All right, now it's time for a favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. It's the moment each week when we take a look at us, the hockey media, and the dumb things that we say sometimes because we are all very thin-skinned and sometimes we don't think straight in the moment. Um, the St. Louis Blues, if you will recall, were recently on a road trip. They lost four of the five games on the road trip, including losses in Edmonton and Winnipeg on back-to-back nights. 5-2 loss at Winnipeg. Not a very good road trip for St. Louis. Kind of a sad time. Alex Steen, who of course has a connection to the Jets, well, previous franchise, Played his 1,000th game in his hometown. And uh, the Winnipeg media wanted to talk to Alex Steen about playing his 1,000th game in his hometown after the game. And what happened, according to Mike McIntyre, Alex Steen blew off media postgame. And the team's PR staff, who said earlier in the day he would for sure speak, wouldn't make him available after playing his 1,000th game in his hometown and with all kinds of interview requests. Absolute joke. The explanation provided was that the Blues' Alex Steen didn't want any additional attention on himself and that he's not happy with his play so he wouldn't talk. That's pretty weak on a night he's honored in his hometown by fans and the Jets for playing his 1,000th game. Who cares? This team team's at the end of a horrible road trip. <laughs> like... Who cares? Like, he, he played like crap. He didn't want to talk. I understand that maybe the Blues PR staff shouldn't be like, yeah, he's going to talk. They don't know that the team's going to play like crap and he doesn't want to talk. Like, what, what do you, I, I don't know. I, this just, I, I understand like there are times when guys need to talk after losses, but the road team making a guy available because he played a Stalvin's game in his hometown after, I, I don't know. That seems like, kind of sh- shaky footing for me as a as a as a writer what, what say you yeah uh a little behind the scenes i think there was a little bit of miscommunication about pregame availability for steen too which look if these things happen he probably should have spoke pregame which i think he was willing to do and the blue say they had no requests and then they, they kept the request after so a little bit of a miscommunication which is ironic because it happens often in our business which is all about communication you're saying it's a blues fault <laughs> Uh, no, I, I actually, I think it was communication all around. <laughs> okay. Well, then we'll call this one maybe less the foibles of the media than a giant cluster F in Winnipeg, to use a colloquialism that I'm sure they use in Winnipeg. All right, now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline, Battle of Alberta. How great were those rivalry games? My God. I watched more Calgary Flames hockey in the last three weeks than I think I have in three years, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> they were so yeah, good. This is kind of My take on it all has been we can debate the merits of fighting all we want, but this is the most excited I've been for regular season hockey, and I cannot remember when, especially regular season hockey in late January and early February when most players just don't give an F because we don't give an F, um, <laughs> you know. We we can, like I said, debate the merits of fighting, but there's two things I believe to be true. One, players believe it regulates the game. 
two fans find it wildly entertaining. If that's going to get a casual fan to turn into Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, so be it. Yeah, the two bummers about the Kachuk situation with uh, Zach Cassian. One, that he fought Cassian. Like I said on Puck Soup, I, I just, come on, do your job. You're a pest. Stop. Don't fight the guy. There's no reason to. Don't draw, Don't give him the satisfaction. I understand that maybe, like, he wanted to let the air out of the balloon on this on this rivalry and not let things get out of hand. Maybe he was given some advice by somebody to do it. Who knows? I wouldn't have fought him. Keep the bit going. You're under his skin. It was great. But secondly, the real bummer of the situation, Sean Monahan and Ryan Nugent Hopkins had a better fight than Zach Cassian and Matt Kachuk. That's... <laughs> That's hard. That's hard to handle as someone who had the intense anticipation of the battle level out of uh, Battle of Alberta, like I did, to see two guys that probably weigh a combined. What do you figure? Like one one fifty, uh, have a better fight than Cassian Kachuk did. Bothered me. Uh, Dateline NHL awards. Emily, what's a better chance of happening? Roman Yossi rallies the top John Carlson for the Norris. Or Quinn Hughes rallies to topple Kale McCarr for the Calder? I think the Calder situation is more likely at this point, mostly because Carlson, and I, I think Kale McCarr as well, has carried the torch since the beginning of the season as the predetermined winner. But it, it just feels like Carlson this year, just like Giordano last year, it's his year that he's due. And next year might be Roman Yossi's year, like he's due. But for whatever reason, this just feels like Carlson's to lose. Yeah, and I, I think the thing about it is that as much as there's going to be a um, argument that Carlson isn't the complete defenseman that Yossi is this year, I still think that his points per game average at the end of the season is going to rank amongst the best in the last 30 years for a defenseman, and that's a real hard argument to overcome. Now, granted, Capitals fans know better than anybody that the Norris Trophy can be lost by by a defenseman setting offensive records because it happened to Mike Green. Maybe the voters have become a little bit more savvy than since then. I don't know, um, but I think Yossi has to, has to be at least a point per game player, and I think there has to be ample evidence that he is the far superior defensive player than Carlson to overcome I'll put this what out it's going to be. Well, go ahead. Yossi should be in the conversation for the heart. I wow. think that he is most important to its team. This is a team um, that is, what have they never had? What's the threshold for points that he's going to beat? They've never had a 60-point score? Like something yeah. crazy like that. Yeah. Like he, he could have the highest points it. per game average of, of any player in, 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 uh, in Predators history potentially. Right. And if they make the playoffs and he's the guy that kind of carries them there, I, I think, I'm not saying he should win it. I think we should be talking about him in consideration for it. Yeah. That's that's interesting, especially interesting because uh, now that Ovechkin has scored 14 goals in seven games, uh, nobody on the capital side is talking about John Carlson for the heart, which is what they were doing about a minute ago before Ovechkin started scoring all those goals. Uh, Dateline. Oh, so I think Hughes for the caller, just to put a fine point on it. Uh, Dateline Buffalo. Dear Lord of the Sabres, a sad state of affairs. Um, it is bad. Fans aren't showing up. Players are calling out their effort. Everybody's sad. Everybody's unhappy. Can this be fixed, Emily? I think it can be fixed, but I get the sense that Terry and Kim Pagula want to fix it with another shakeup because they've now owned the team, made the playoff uh, since, what, 2011 mm-hmm. was their first year? Uh, made the playoffs that first year and haven't returned since. Um, so, yeah, I do think... Uh, that there's going to be a shakeup. You know, I talked to Jack Eichel at the All-Star game, and look, they should protect this guy at all costs. He's the best player they have by far. He loves Ralph Kruger. Ralph Kruger isn't going anywhere. Um, he's singing his praises, and I think a lot of people believe Ralph Kruger is part of the solution. Um, I wonder if this could mean a general manager change in the offseason. I put it out there before. I'll put it out there again. Ralph Kruger, coach and general manager next year. Let's go. Uh, Bill O'Brien. Yeah. Dateline Stephen Johns. Stephen Johns, uh, returned from post-traumatic headaches. That's what, uh, uh, Sean Shapiro labeled them. Uh, that he battled for 22 months to return to the Stars lineup and, uh, scored a, a goal, uh, for the Stars on this trip. Long road back for a, a real good defenseman and it was a, a delightful thing to see him do that where his parents were in the stands, no less. Uh, scoring a goal in his return. 
Yeah, and listening to him talk about they were the ones that were with him in all of those dark times. It was really special. For sure. Uh, Dateline Kobe Bryant. First off, obviously, rest in peace to Kobe and to his daughter and to everybody who lost their lives in that horrific helicopter crash. We hadn't talked to that happened the day after we did our podcast, I think. So we haven't gotten a chance to talk about it. Uh, and which means we haven't gotten a chance to talk about the tributes in the NHL to Kobe. Um, the Ovechkin one was, was, the Ovechkin one was, was really, um, special when he skated out with Kobe, one of Kobe's numbers. I should say he wears the other number, um, during pregame warmups because I, I guess I didn't realize until he passed what impact Kobe had on other elite athletes and mm-hmm. just like the amount of, in, in Ovechkin's case, mutual respect, but the amount of respect that these guys had for the way that Kobe competed and carried himself and inspired younger players to be better. It was, it was sort of an education. I feel like we, we got, we kind of, the, 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 uh, the locker room door cracked open a little bit. And we got to peek inside at, at what these guys actually think of other athletes in other sports. Totally. And, you know, I was overwhelmed by just the outpouring in general. I didn't realize how many people felt personally affected by his life and his death. You know, I think part of the details of his death are really hard to grapple with, especially the fact that he died with his daughter and the way that in the last, you know, couple years of his life, he really became dedicated to being a great sports dad, a great coach of youth girls, a great ambassador for the women's game, just talking about his daughter and her aspirations to play professional basketball, not qualifying it as women's professional basketball, professional basketball and treating her like an equal. Um, of course, I, I think, you know, it's troubling knowing that a lot of this kind of cleared over some of the things, you know, like what happened in Colorado and the fact that he was accused of rape. And mm-hmm. in that case, um, you know, he was never convicted of it, but it was still a really troubling case. Um, and, and I think it's complicated. That said, um, I was just I was honestly shocked and floored by just how many people were so moved by his life and his passing. Yeah, for sure. Finally, switching gears, but keeping it in L.A. Dateline. The Oscars. The Academy Awards are this Sunday, Emily. I know that you have seen all of the Oscar films at least twice. Give me one thing you're hoping for on Sunday. Give me one thing you don't want to see on Sunday. Um, Great question. Haven't really been in the loop, but I see a lot of momentum for Parasite. Was it nominated for Best Picture? It was. Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Foreign Film. It'll win Best Foreign Film. There's some thought that it'll win Original Screenplay. Uh, I would I would say that my thing I'd love to see is for it to win Best Picture. That said, I've not seen 1917 yet. I'm going to see it this week before the Oscars. That seems to be the one that's got the most momentum going into it. But Parasite was, as of right now, the best film I saw this year. Okay. In that case, I hope it wins. So that'll force me to actually watch it. The one I don't want to see win is Joker because it wasn't good. It was mm-hmm. it was interesting, and it was extraordinarily derivative of better movies. And Joaquin Phoenix was fantastic, and he should win Best Actor for sure. But the Joker movie had a really good final twenty minutes, and the rest of it was sort of meh. So I I'd be sad not not Green Book sad, but sad mm-hmm. if Joker won Best Picture. Uh, do we have a rant line, Ryan, or none no, none rants this week? Yeah, hi. I, I wanted to call with a couple ideas for how to improve the All-Star game, but then I realized I can't watch it because the NHL is so backwards in how they present things online. I pay them, I don't know, $150, $200 a year for their all-access pass. I pay for my secret little VPN thing that they're not supposed to know about so that I can watch my local games. I want to watch every single piece of hockey that I can. And you know what they do? They don't let me watch the All-Star game. I can't watch the skills competition. I can't watch the game. I can't watch the coverage. I can't see any of it. If I'm going straight to the source, straight to NHL.com and saying, here's my money, give me all the hockey, why on earth are they not going to let me watch their showcase game with all the, well, you know, the players that actually showed up. Why am I not allowed to watch that? It's insane. I don't get it. I don't have cable. I can't watch it. I'm forced to go to YouTube to watch 
eight-minute chunks of different skills broken up with 15 different ads for things I don't care about. <laughs> I have already paid you. I gave you my money. Let me watch the thing that you want me to watch. Oh! Great rant. That's a great rant. You know what? I mean, I'll say that obviously, like, TV rights deals are going to take precedence over... Um, a lot of stuff when it comes to the NHL and access to its product. I, I'll, I'll say this as sort of a sidebar. Why is it so hard to get the NHL network? Like, I, I've been, I've been sort of cutting the cord streamy guy for the last year. Um, and I had PlayStation View and then it died. So now I have YouTube TV and not only on YouTube TV, but on other streaming platforms, like NHL network isn't available and like, I don't think you can watch it. I, I think if you have, like, the NHL pay-per-view package, like I do, Center Ice, like, I don't think the NHL network is actually a part of that. I don't think I can flip on the NHL app and just go, like, pick NHL network and just start watching it. It's kind of bizarre, and it sucks because that means I have to go search out feeds for the women's games when they're on NHL network and probably do the same thing for World Junior. But you, you seem you seem down with this guy's rant. Yeah, I am. And, you know, I, I hope that in 2021, we're going to get a reform when we restructure the rights deal. And I think the NHL will understand the viewing habits of people in the modern society that we're all going leading towards streaming services. But yeah, I agree that this is an inherent problem. You know, I was upset by the fact that the women's games were picked up by NHL Network, but wouldn't be available to be streamed as, you know, that's a large way that people consume NHL content. And you can debate about it all they want, right? That's not an NHL event. But as our caller mentioned, the All-Star game is literally NHL propaganda and not to be able to send that out to the people who are interested in NHL propaganda is quite frankly absurd. There you go. Emily Kaplan, colon, let the people have their propaganda. That's ESPN and Ice for this week. <laughs> our thanks to our guest. Our thanks to uh, everybody for listening. Uh, I'm Greg Wyshynski. You can read my stuff on ESPN.com and lis- you can listen to my other podcast, uh, Puck Soup with Down Goes Brown and Ryan Lambert that has uh, bad words on it. So just keep that in mind. I'm Emily Kaplan, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Emily M. Kaplan, and all I've got to say is bye. Bye.